Chapter 5, Ascent, The Way of Hope. This is Alyssa here with you again to finish out the last chapter. It'll be hard to follow up such a powerful and rich chapter on celibacy. Thank God for the diversity we see and experience in the church. I was deeply moved by Brother Sam's explanation of why God gave the church this great treasure and what the various celibate life states look like. As with marriage, I'm struck with how a person's religious vocation is a gift both to themselves for their own benefit and joy, while also being a critical instrument for the salvation of others and the whole world. As we make this journey, not only a vocational discernment, but really the whole of our Christian lives as well, we make many decisions. Every yes to God is another step of ascent in the process. And our motives matter here. Each step can be a yes moved by hope that acknowledges God's love for us. But such steps, such decisions can also be moved by no, or more accurately, by oh no. In other words, we can succumb to a restless urgency fueled by fear. As in, oh no, if I don't land in my vocation now, I'll miss my chance. Or if God doesn't speak up soon, I'll have to take a job I don't actually want. Trust enables us to take the positive way rather than the road of negativity. Our trust and hope does not rest in the ways that we see God fulfilling our dreams, but in the abiding knowledge of his promises. And what promises are these? The following scripture passages highlight God's provision for his people throughout salvation history. This is our heritage And we can look back on all God has done and spoken to his people with great faith that he speaks the same promises to us. Although our circumstances are different from the Israelites, his love and care for us is the same. I invite you to read through the passages as a biblical narrative, meaning read through them one after the next without pauses. And when you're done, sit with the power of these promises for a few moments. But Moses answered the people, Do not fear. Stand your ground and see the victory the Lord will win for you today. For these Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep still. It is the Lord, your God, who will cross before you. He will destroy these nations before you, that you may dispossess them. Be strong and steadfast, have no fear or dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who marches with you. He will never fail you or forsake you. So now acknowledge with your whole heart and soul that not one of all of the promises the Lord your God made concerning you has failed. Every one of them has come true for you. Not one has failed. Trust in the Lord and do good that you may dwell in the land and live secure. Find your delight in the Lord, who will give you your heart's desire. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. For I know well the plans I have in mind for you, oracle of the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for woe, so as to give you a future of hope. When you call me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you look for me, you will find me. So do not worry and say, what are we to eat? Or what are we to drink? Or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. 
Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All good giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no alteration or shadow caused by change. Reflect and discuss. Do any of these verses stand out to you? What is God speaking to you through them? Maintaining a disposition of hope and trust in God is foundational to discernment. When we believe that God has good things for us, it's less likely that we'll grasp at our own plans. The goals of this chapter are twofold. We will be talking about how to approach vocational discernment as well as how to approach this time of your life pre-life state vocation. Discerning a life state. It's about authenticity. So how does this work? How does somebody do discernment? Actually, discernment is something you probably do every day. If you've read God Speaks, another SPO formation book, you already have some helpful tools. The habit of listening to God daily has a very practical benefit. We can handle the big questions better when we're regularly seeking God's mind on our more ordinary decisions. Spring break plans, job or service offers, change of living situations, etc. Renee Hendrickson, who's a Brotherhood of Hope and SPO alum and member of Community of Christ the Redeemer in St. Paul, Minnesota, says it well. She said, when I was in college, I participated in a discernment group. Although I was motivated to discern my vocation to marriage, religious life, or single life, the leaders wisely helped us to discern the Lord's will in smaller and less significant decisions like, what classes should I take next semester, or how should I spend my spring break? In discerning those decisions, then living them out, and finally reflecting on them, I learned to recognize the Lord's voice in my life. Similar to learning to decipher a foreign language, I learned to hear smaller words before I learned to decipher longer, more complex sentences. In the same way, I'm grateful for having spent time discerning the Lord's will in small ways before the big vocational question. What does it look like to pursue the big question then? How does one go about discerning a life state? Keeping the four attitudes for successful discernment from chapter 2 in mind, here are some key aspects for life state discernment. One is informed. By now you have a better understanding of the various life states, which help frame the essential question, what are you actually discerning? Though we've covered a lot on marriage and celibacy in the last two chapters, there's far more to learn than we've been able to go over. And the primary way to grow an understanding is by spending significant time with married and celibate people. It's easy to know what the vocation is, but without real-life witnesses, it's left as impersonal head knowledge. Since celibacy is probably less familiar, make it a priority to find out more. Seek out opportunities to be around celibate men and women. Ask them what they love about their vocation, what drew them to this closer following of Jesus. If you find something about their stories stirring your own desire, stay with those movements. Beg the Holy Spirit for light and clarity. Not to see the whole roadmap, but just the next good step. There are guides to help you discern celibacy in a more intentional way. Ask your pastoral leader what they recommend. 
The next is intentional. There will likely be times or a season in your life that you feel called by the Lord to discern. This is intentional, prayerful time focused on the question of your particular vocation rather than simply waiting or maneuvering for something to happen. Practically, this time should be set aside. This means you can't really discern celibacy if you're in a dating relationship, nor even in a close, semi-exclusive friendship with someone of the opposite sex. The next is sufficient. You give your discernment enough time and God enough time and space to speak into your life. How much is enough? For starters, consider a semester's worth of designated time to stay intentionally single and seek God's vision for your particular vocation. And the last is to be accountable. You invite trusted, mature, spiritual guides to walk with you in your discernment. On this last point, many would-be discerners are hesitant to invite someone to advise them. Maybe it's fear of being pushed in some undesirable direction. We shouldn't be blind, however, to our own blindness in such things. As Proverbs says, all your ways may be straight in your own eyes, but it is the Lord who weighs the heart. A good advisor provides another set of eyes and helps you read those signs. Spiritual guides and pastoral leaders are key to accountability. Think about getting a tattoo. It's a mark that's both permanent and painful. That's why if someone decides to get one, they usually bring a friend. They can give good advice, sure, but the real reason is they keep the person from backing out. Smart discernment follows a similar pattern. It calls for bringing a friend, though in this case it should be someone with the mind of Christ who knows you well, potentially someone older who may be living in their particular vocation already. Why? These are choices that shape the rest of your life. Asking these big discernment questions, growing in self-knowledge, considering a dating relationship, visiting a religious community, etc. are all significant steps in your walk with the Lord. Remember that no journey in the Christian life is meant to be undertaken alone. You have been given the gift this year in formation to walk with your small group and pastoral leader. You may even have a spiritual director too. My encouragement here is to not just check the box of meeting with someone, but to genuinely be open to their input in your life. Don't come to a meeting with a trusted guide hoping that they will baptize your desires. Be open with where you are at, be ready to ask questions, and invite accountability to follow through with the decisions you've made in the Lord. John Stevenson, an SPO mission supervisor, shares his testimony. I didn't have SPO or any strong mentors in college, so a lot of my experience in dating and thinking about my future was done in my own head and with my peers as sounding boards. I didn't really have a direction for my life, so my decisions were typically driven by my emotions and how I felt about certain decisions, which wasn't a solid foundation to say the least. I was part of a discernment group for an entire year where I got decent formation on the topic, but with no one to hold me accountable, it was all just head knowledge with very little practical application. The wisdom I was learning didn't actually get incarnated in my life. I wish I had known how important it was to have a mentor who was older and wiser that I was radically honest with, sharing my thoughts, desires, struggles, and grappling with my decisions about the future. I bought into the lie that I had to figure it out on my own, and this cut me off from a lot of wisdom and perspective that would have saved a lot of unnecessary pain. Discuss. 
What part of John's experience is similar to your own? Have you been able to find mentors to help you grapple with important decisions? If not, what are some good ways to seek spiritual guidance? Bringing our discernment to the one who made us. We've addressed key mindsets and key aspects of discernment, but what about prayer? We've saved the best part for last. God desires to have dynamic and rich conversations with you regarding your state of life vocation. This isn't a treasure hunt where if you do all the right things and go all the right places, you'll find where the treasure is buried. Vocational discernment is happening in the context of your personal relationship with the one who made you. During discernment, we should be seeking to understand who we are and who God made us to be. Who we are going to spend our lives with depends on who we are. God will reveal to us the true desires of our heart as we come close to him in a life of prayer and service. A dear friend of mine is a religious sister, and when I was speaking to her about this book, she communicated the importance of knowing one's own desires. She encouraged people to ask the question, at the deepest part of me, what do I desire? God has placed many of these desires in our hearts since baptism, and as we live the Christian life, we uncover them. When I was on a discernment retreat at a convent, one of the sisters was sharing her discernment testimony. She said that she always imagined she would get married and have 22 kids. Yeah, wow. Later, as she was taking time to intentionally discern religious life, she realized that her desire to have 22 children was because it was the most she had ever heard of someone having. She recognized that her heart was made to love more than just one biological family. Her deeper desire was to have many spiritual children. Most people will desire marriage. This is a healthy and natural desire. But some may realize that dating and marriage is not enough to satisfy them. Their hearts are made to love in a different way. When I heard that sister share her desire for many spiritual children, something within my own heart did not resonate with her experience. Personally, I realized that I felt a desire to love a particular few children in a biological way. This was simple but helpful for me to ponder as I continued my own discernment. I offer my own experience by way of one example, but keep in mind the Lord could direct someone else totally differently. As you sit with the Lord and as you actively serve him, you will realize things about yourself. No doubt you already have. These can be ways you come alive as you do mission, ways you experience love from God or from others, groups of people you deeply desire to serve, and ways you experience fruit in prayer. The truth we experience as we discern and live out our vocations is that God has made us so unique and has a distinct call for each of us. What an honor. He wants us to love the life state vocation he calls us to. He wants our hearts to be fully alive as we give ourselves in our vocation. A sister from the Handmaids of the Heart of Jesus explains, Vocation is truly about making a gift of self. In discerning a vocation, it's important to ask the question, How has God created my heart to love and be loved? The Father has created each of our hearts in a particular way, and he knows what we need to be most free and fully alive to give ourselves away in love. The goal of our lives is to remain with Jesus, to abide with him, to be with him, 
And it's so important to remember that truth. I think sometimes when it comes to vocational discernment, we turn discernment into figuring out what I'm supposed to do versus allowing our hearts to rest in the love of the one who is leading. If we keep our eyes fixed on him and remain rooted in prayer, it allows us to remain in the truth of Christ's love and the goodness of the Father. As you take time to grow in your relationship with God and go deeper in self-knowledge, these are questions that you could bring to the Lord in prayer. At the deepest part of me, what do I desire? How have you created my heart to love? What makes me come alive? Who do I desire to be for the Lord and for the world? As you go about your daily life, working, serving, and pursuing things you think are important, here's another question that's worth coming back to on a regular basis. Is this something I desire and feel God calling me to, or am I trying to be someone that I think someone else would like me to be or expects me to be? Free to discern. As we reflect on ourselves and desires, it's important to also recognize external and internal influences that can skew our heart and mindset. We're broken people living in a broken world, but God doesn't want us to discern our vocations or view our lives through the lens of brokenness. This takes real self-reflection and honesty. It also shouldn't be rushed, which is why sufficient is one of the key aspects of discernment that we've highlighted. I once knew a priest in college who told me, tell all of your friends to deal with their shit before they enter into their vocation. And he was serious. He had worked with so many married couples and men and women pursuing celibacy who had never faced their serious sin, their bad habits, or their mentalities that were not rooted in the Lord. He knew that these things would always come to a head sooner or later, and it was less painful to deal with them prior to entering into their vocation. Questions to bring to the Lord in prayer. What is my experience of others' marriages? What excites me about marriage? What fears do I have about marriage? What exposure to those in a celibate life state vocation have I had? What excites me about a religious or priestly vocation? What fears do I have about a celibate vocation? Do I have an openness to either vocation? If not, why? Invite the Lord to speak truth into any fears. Do I have reservations about entering any vocation? If so, where are these reservations coming from? Are there particular sins or bad habits that I want to experience freedom from before entering a vocation? We will always be sinners, but it's important to experience a degree of freedom, especially from serious sin. This is something a spiritual director and or a pastoral leader could offer wisdom and perspective in. Have I spent time establishing a strong relationship with God through prayer and practicing single-heartedness? What do my relationships with the opposite sex look like? Am I detached? Am I able to see them primarily as brothers or sisters? Have I taken time to pursue and prioritize brotherhood or sisterhood? Are there ways I can grow in service now as a single person? There are two last things I want to address before we move on from this section. Life state discernment takes at least two parties. Whether it's marriage, priesthood, or religious life, each particular vocation involves a mutual discernment. Your future spouse, bishop, or religious congregation will also need to discern that call. 
In this sense, it's better understood that you're primarily discerning openness to move in the direction of a certain vocation. God will confirm, refine, or reroute that direction, and these other key parties play a pivotal role. And the other thing is that you have a right, according to the church, to follow God's call. Supposing you do discern a good vocational direction and other key parties are in agreement, it's still possible that you'll face opposition, especially from parents. Celibacy, for example, is no longer seen as a blessing by the majority of Western Catholics. If resistance comes your way during discernment, it helps to be aware that the church supports your right to hear and respond to God's call. The Catechism states family ties are important, but not absolute. Just as the child grows to maturity and human and spiritual autonomy, so his unique vocation, which comes from God, asserts itself more clearly and forcefully. Parents should respect this call and encourage their children to follow it. They must be convinced that the first vocation of the Christian is to follow Jesus. He who loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. From the Catechism, paragraph 2232. Living a fruitful life as a single person. Our primary vocation of holiness should remind us that there is no wasted time in our lives. It's tempting to view our single years as a waiting period, waiting for something to happen to us, waiting for our career to take off, waiting to meet the right person, waiting for God to do something that would help us know his will. Your prayer lives, your pursuit of virtue, your dedication to what is happening right in front of you are bearing fruit now and preparing you for your future vocation. These years prior to entering your life state vocation are not wasted. Quite the contrary, they are a particular gift both to you and to the church. This is a time to be actively serving the Lord and others, not passively waiting to know what to do next. Historically speaking, young people, call them 20-somethings, have influenced so much about the culture and direction of our society, for better or worse. Why is that? 20-somethings are passionate, influential, and confident. 20-somethings believe they can change the world, and they're right. I bet most of our readers have been deeply impacted by the passion and influence of a 20-something, someone who sold out for the Lord. I can think of a handful of men and women in my own life who fit that description, and I'm thankful for the ways that God called me to give of my own young adult years. My time serving as a household leader small group leader, etc., are what I refer to as some of my golden years. It was my primary mission, flowing from God's call, to pour my life into serving college students in a particular and radical way, and I am so grateful for that time in my life. Discuss. Have there been 20-somethings in your life that have made a positive difference in the way you live as a disciple? Describe the difference. Celibacy and marriage require self-gift beyond what is comfortable. People in these vocations no longer live for themselves, at least they shouldn't. Practically speaking, the daily demands of either vocation stretch, purify, and sanctify, leaving little room for self-interest. Because single life does not have the same kinds of implicit demands, I know many single people who consciously choose to place themselves in positions of service where they're pushed to give beyond what is required. They may serve as missionaries, as parish volunteers, or in various ways in their faith communities. They may serve their married friends, 
religious brothers and sisters, coworkers, and neighbors. One particular gift we have in SPO is to have a relationship with various covenant communities that are nearby many of our chapters. These are communities primarily made up of lay people, singles and couples, who are committed to one another and to living out a pattern of life similar to what we live in SPO. Many alumni from SPO have found great joy and fruit continuing to live out committed relationships with brothers and sisters within these communities. They also serve as a vehicle of mission for young adults, neighborhoods, and cities. Making the most of single years by generously serving others brings a double blessing. Naturally, there's the benefit for those who are served, but there's also a very real gift of self-knowledge gained by the one who serves. You come to see the world with the eyes of Christ, with greater respect and appreciation. In the process, you understand that your own life is a unique gift. In this, the Lord begins to reveal your personal vocation with greater clarity. Discuss. What are some ways that you've seen people be generous with their single years? What kind of impact have they made on you or others? For such a time as this, God gave you life because he loves you and because he has great plans for you. His plans offer us true joy and stability while the world offers empty promises without real security. We stand in the promises of God and are reminded that as God fulfilled his promise to the Israelites, not one of all the promises the Lord your God made concerning you has failed. He has and will fulfill his promises to us, that he will be with us always and that he has a place for us with him for all eternity should we choose it. Our culture is constantly changing, but our need for Christ remains the same. Your single years as a layperson and your vocations, present and future, will leave an irreplaceable mark in this world and play a pivotal role in the battle we are caught up in. You were born for this, and you have been called with all of the graces necessary for such a time as this. I'll close with a quote from SPO's founder, Gordy DeMarais. It is important for us to remember that vocation is a call from God, and as such, is a gift he wants to give us. He is a loving Father who desires our good more than we desire it for ourselves. As a Father, He lovingly and gently guides us into His perfect will if we are trusting and yielding to that will. For most of us, our discernment won't be getting knocked off our horse or a burning bush kind of experience. Rather, it will be a daily decision to offer our lives to the Lord and others in self-giving love, to grow in deeper love for God, so that our desires are conformed to his. There is no higher calling, no greater adventure, no more fulfilling purpose in life than to completely live for God and others. The yes of our life to him will change the world.